Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great to have you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and the CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com, and I welcome you to connect me on LinkedIn. Today. We have Mr. Carl Weaver on the show with me. He is working for Rivets as the OEM business developer director for the Asia Pacific and China area. He is a public speaker and very well known in the Chinese community in the U.S. And he is a technology evangelist for the Western world to China. Well, welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate coming. It's very interesting. Yeah, I did a very brief introduction about you, but、uh, I think it's better you introduce yourself to our audience and、uh, especially your special connection with China over those many years. Thank you. So yes, I have actually been involved in the Chinese world for thirty-seven years.、Um, my career started in Taiwan, where I received the scholarship to study Mandarin. And I studied Mandarin under scholarship three years, and then I worked in the microcomputer industry in Taiwan for seven years. And then I came back to America, and then I really started my career with China, which is working for a company called Zetron. And I just jumped on board in in early 1993, and we were selling millions of dollars of land mobile radio communications equipment to China. So I had to learn simplified Chinese after spending almost a decade learning traditional Chinese. <laughs>、um, so I, I did that for a period of time. Fast forward after. Many, many, a number of decades helping American companies sell into the Chinese world. I was in Las Vegas at a wireless trade show, and、um, I gave a presentation about the global smartphone revolution, China, the mobile digital dragon, and India, the IT super tiger. And a guy from Jamalto approached me from the crowd after my presentation. He said, "Great presentation, Carl. We need a guy who speaks Mandarin, who knows the Chinese handset manufacturers, and who'd be willing to pro- to promote something called NFC." I said, "What is NFC?" <laughs> Which year was that? Two thousand eight. Yeah, that was the very beginning of NFC. I'd only seen it once in two thousand seven during a Visa and Nokia, a trade show where Visa and Nokia were showing a point of sale device and a, a, a Nokia feature phone doing NFC. I'd only—that's the first time I'd ever seen it. I said, "What is that?" I, I don't. <laughs> so they said. Can you go to China and and Taiwan, of course, because you have HTC and a bunch of other companies?、Mm-hmm. I said,、um, yeah. Let me ask my wife.、Uh, my wife said, I'm not going to China. I, I like I like living in Seattle. I, and so she said, you go. You stay with my sister for six months,、uh, and then send all the money back. That's what my wife said. <laughs> That's right. 
So I was able to go to China and immediately day one, I was able to jump into China. I had a place to live day one. They had given me a small stipend for the first month, but I was living with my wife's sister, whose husband worked in IBM Beijing. So I was uh, able to immediately, day one, I, I was able to start immediately being effective for the company. And so basically, I spent five years in China promoting near-field communications, contactless mobile near-field communications. And then around 2010, they put me on a technology called the Trusted Execution Environment, which was embedded software security for payment. So those two can't, were also the same or similar ecosystems. Smartphone manufacturers, semiconductor chip vendors, smart card vendors, mobile network operators, banks, and the entire payment and security ecosystem, it all glued together around 2010 after I'd also pushed NFC and started pushing security. It all glued together, and I, be, I really became the NFC rainmaker. I was known as the NFC rainmaker in China, and then I was able to get in to push the trusted execution environment from a company Jamalto bought, and they asked me to represent inside China. So I had two business cards, one for Jamalto, one for Trusted Logic, which promoted the technology. Fast forward 2013, the company was merged into a three-way global JV between Arm, Jamalto, and another smart card vendor called G&D, and I became the China representative. But in, 2000, in July of 2013, my contract expired, and I decided to return to the United States after five full years very successful time in China. So that was not six months, as your wife first told you, go there for six months. <laughs> well, my wife didn't say go there for six months. She said, you live with my sister for the first six months. I lived in Xunyi, which is a, a very exclusive area of Beijing where they have the Bieshu, right? The, yeah, the, the, that's, the summer homes. that's an area that very a lot nice of area. Western folks uh, live there. So yeah, I wasn't have... complaining about living in a nice area, but uh, I was able to take a shuttle bus every day. But I only did that for six months and then I, I found my own apartment. I was riding a bicycle in Beijing when every all the Chinese were saying, I have a minivan, I have a BMW. And so I was adding to my CO2 carbon footprint when all the Chinese were buying bigger and high, <laughs> bigger and more expensive vehicles. This and white male man is riding a bicycle. With a helmet. With a helmet. I, oh, yeah. You stand out with the helmet. Well, it was, you <laughs> know, riding a bicycle in Beijing is not the safest thing. But I was, I, I rode on sidewalks a lot and I was very, very safe. I rode a bicycle for five years in Beijing. The best means of transportation where I lived, I lived in Li Du area. Yeah, I know. know. Near Zhou Shenchao, right? The Li Du area of Beijing, which is a very nice area to live. So I did that for five years for Jamalto. But after five years, my contract expired. I'd, I'd been in China five years. The, the air pollution of Beijing was kind of getting to me. And that was really the worst year of the air pollution, which is in 2013. My I was there. I was in China 2013 and 14. Yeah, you yeah. know. The, my contract expired. Foreign nationals living in China cannot live in China more than five years because if you live in China continuously after five years, they start to tax you on your worldwide income. I didn't want that. So everybody who's not from mainland China has to leave for a month and take a sabbatical for a month. Uh, my contract was up. It was five years. I decided to return to America, uh, and I did that. So that was still a great period of my professional career. It really helped me to reinvent my career as a payment security specialist. 
Yeah, I know the first time we met was in Paris. That was, I think it was 2009. And I was working at Microsoft on mobile payment project. And you were in Gimalto. Yeah, yes. and you approached to me and my colleague. We chatted a little bit because you guys are the SIM card kind vendor. of expert yes. vendor. That's how we first time met. Yeah, it's a small world. So we all came from Seattle and <laughs> met in Paris the first time. Okay, so I think you have a long history with China and also you have a long history in the mobile world doing devices related. I wouldn't say doing devices. You work on many different pieces that yes. is critical to mobile devices yes. and to the payment as well yes. as to the security. Yes, right? but the most critical thing is the relationship with the handset manufacturers because they change. Ten years ago, you know, Amoy Mobile, who's that? They were big ten years ago. Panda, remember Panda? They used to make feature phones. The Chinese market started really from Taiwanese companies taking the feature phone technology into China and then China learning. Now, the first Chinese feature phone manufacturer was in Ningbo, Bodao. That was the first feature phone vendor in 2003. I was, I've been in this before coming to Jamalto. I've been tracking and following the evolution of the feature phone, the cellular 2G, 3G feature phone to its evolution to the smartphone. And my first public speaking presentation on smartphones was in Microsoft's campus. I think it was March of 2003, where I gave this great presentation and people didn't know what smartphones were. But I had a history of pushing to the HTC and Orange and Microsoft when they were making the first the first true smartphone operating system in North America in 2002, late 2002, early 2003. So that was the early days, and Microsoft was in the forefront of that, really, before anybody else, because Nokia really wasn't pitching in America at that time. They were mostly pitching in Europe and a little bit in Asia. So today you are working in this company, Rivets. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what this company is about? Yes, so Rivets is actually what we call an ICO, an initial coin offering company in the blockchain. So we provide embedded software security for blockchain design smartphones. That's essentially what we do. And we use uh, developer tools to do that. And we've developed something called dual roots of trust security. All of this means is we're protecting private keys on Android smartphones because that's needing to be protected on Android smartphones. And there's this new phenomenon called the blockchain smartphone, and it's coming out. We provide the security. So you guys are really cutting edge in the very, very it's, front. It's painful to be a cutting edge vendor because you have all the arrows in your back. Because nobody knows what the technology is. Nobody you, knows what you are talking about. And, you, and you, you, give it, you give it a public speaking presentation in a conference, and people just say, yeah, yeah. I said, do you understand? Yeah, yeah. Do you really understand? No, no. <laughs> and that's very common in China because the people in China are very shy to ask questions, you know. So this is not the right section to talk about this, but I have figured out ways to get the Chinese people to open up during my public speaking. Uh -huh. We will talk about it yeah, a little yeah. bit later. Yeah. Okay. okay, this piece. So now let's take a quick break. We will come back to talk more about the China market, sure. right? especially on the mobile payments market, which you are an expert in from the beginning to today, right? From you the very, from the ver I've been involved in the very beginning of what we call mobile payments in the world today. I'm so fortunate. Yeah. Okay, we will hear more about that from you after the break. 
Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China. With many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution, we can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, we're back. So before the call, you talk a little bit about your history with China. I think、um, now we are going to focus on the mobile payment market and the trends in China and the opportunities there. In mobile payment, then we need to first look at the mobile device. So you have been involved in the device market for so many years, for decades. Can you tell us your observation of the China market? In terms of mobile device, different generations.、Uh, yes, most of the Chinese vendors started by getting a little bit of technology transfer from Taiwan, and then they started this whole Shanghaiji, which means mountain banded cell phone phenomenon, around 2008. But then Google came in and supplied a real legitimate operating system. So the Shanghai evolved to true Chinese smartphone manufacturers because they realized a smartphone is better than a feature phone, and they were pitching Windows and Symbian OS and. Eventually, Google, Android. So, the Chinese market evolved from really small startups learning what the whole semiconductor chip industry was, and then learning to build smartphones as a Shanghai vendor, many of them, and then actually becoming legitimate smartphone manufacturers. Now, around two thousand nine or two thousand eight, I came to China and I started pushing something called near field communications, which is essentially critical. To developing a, a mobile payment smartphone based on contactless mobile near field communications technology. Yeah, but that's for the more advanced device versus those lower end devices.、Right? Yeah, so I had actually, believe it or not, I successfully enabled near field communications design in to all the top Chinese smartphone makers, including Samsung, inside China by 2010. Wow! But around 2008, Alipay. Really started to materialize in China with a barcode and a browser and a mobile wallet.、It、is really called online payment.、Mm-hmm. NFC technology is all offline payment. It was really online payment, and it was really funky because those those the browser didn't work so well at that time. At that time, and the optical character, the optical camera in some of these earlier phones. Was not very good, but essentially, though the technology grew, because number one, there was no cost for barcode, three D barcodes, and the browser、uh, Alibaba had made, or and they, and then they changed themselves, and then they created a separate company called AliPay. Yes, Jirfubao, right? So I started to see that phenomenon around two thousand. AliPay came into into existence around two thousand nine or ten, and then eventually. WeChat or Tencent, the parent WeChat, came into the market around 2013.、Um, I saw that the all the NFC technology that was actually already designed into the phones, 
to the point-of-sale machines, to the debit cards and to the credit cards in China, all that had used what we call contactless NFC. And on the mobile device, it's contactless mobile NFC. So the technology was already there. It was already standardized in the subway systems and in various what we call control access, like going into a building, you use the NFC to get into the building. But I saw that Alipay and WeChat, which was a, it's a chat app, they had a better model, an easier model, a simple model in order to crack and scale mobile payments because the NFC technology was controlled by the, the smartphone vendors, the banks, and the operators. And operators and banks traditionally never get along with each other. However, Alipay came in and they were a third party payment mechanism. And they were very aggressive. Alipay came in in 2010, and by 2013, you know, WeChat said, well, I must add a wallet to my chat app. And so I was pitching NFC technology and embedded security for those five years. At the end of my tenure, five-year tenure, I said, you need to watch about... I said to, to my company, Jamalto, I said to China Union Pay directly to them, I said, you need to be concerned about these third-party payment platforms because you've invested so much money in near-field communications technology that these guys are a real possibility to overtake you because they were very aggressive. They had very lightly light rules as a third-party payment platform. They didn't have the rules that people in the West like PayPal have. Mm -hmm. They didn't have all those requirements. So they were able to scale at a, a tremendously frightening rate as far as union pay. The banks were concerned, a frightening rate. Okay. Exactly, and they don't require people to have those uh, NFC-enabled devices. Right. It's very uh, low-end uh, smartphones can do it. Yes, low-end smartphones can do it. All you needed was a barcode and a browser, and you attached or you downloaded a simple mobile wallet that was all online. The, the caveat there is that, as you know, with NFC technology, if you turn off the phone, the NFC uses induction, so it will still work. But barcode, you have no power. Yeah, it you doesn't work. Connected on the internet. I was recently in Shanghai, and I was watching a lady using the most advanced Huawei phone with a barcode. And maybe it wasn't a Huawei phone, but she was going into the turnstile in a subway, and I saw her going like this, and she's like, "It looked hilarious to see." She was using the barcode to try to scan the, the the reader inside of the terminal or the turnstile in the subway, and it wasn't working. And I'm going. I have those experiences going to Qdoba down here in Woodenville. It just, the optical scan didn't work. So immediately I thought to myself, how could and not an unsophisticated 40-year-old Japanese technology win over the NFC technology from Philips and Sony? How could that, you know, NXP is Philips and Sony. I thought, how could that happen? And I reverted back to the old Betamax and VHS. That was the video standards. Ah, oh, yeah. And not the best technology one. And I think that's the situation in China today, which is the simplest, the easiest, the most, the most friction. It's not that it's frictionless, but the cheapest. And the, the, the technology that was able to gain as much leverage to scale it won. That's mm -hmm. what happened. Okay. So that's the generations of the device as well as the involvement of those mobile payment methodologies or solutions, right? So, Carl, mobile payment is ubiquitous in China now. It's like everybody's going out with a phone without a wallet or a card anymore, right? They only use the phone yes. to do all the transactions. Let's look back a little bit about the history. How did all this start? And, you know, it's like a in just a couple of years, uh, China goes from cash 
to cashless. Yes. So for Alibaba, because there are two different stories here. So for Alibaba, it really started with their online business, and then having the ability to not only buy things using a barcode to scan, but also actually just buying things online. I noticed people love to buy things online,、uh, but when they started to buy things using the barcode at the proximity, proximity with barcode,、um, it, it it was less. It wasn't. There was very little friction for Alibaba to to migrate from just doing online payments, buying online, to buying using the barcode and a browser. And it actually changed the behavior of the people because the people were now able to merchants、uh, and also many consumers were now able to pay for things immediately upfront, and it would go into their debit account. They would set up a an account with Alibaba, and it, it would debit from their banking debit account. And then you could basically buy things immediately from just looking at a、uh, and scanning a barcode. And you can now immediately make a payment for something. You didn't even need to pull out a credit card. You didn't need to put need did not need to need to pull out cash. It was really less frictionless, and no cash was involved because it's simply scanning a barcode, and the barcode would immediately your debit account back with your traditional banking account. So that's how Alibaba kind of grew. It really grew from the first the online payments, and then to the proximity and、uh, barcode payments. Tencent was a little bit different. Alibaba came around 2008 to push this concept, but the concept of Alipay really around 2010 it started. Now, WeChat, Tencent, started a little bit differently. They started as a chat app, and then realizing, hey, I love your chat app. I want more services on the chat app, and one of them was eventually,、uh, you know, this red envelope, this Hongbao, because the Chinese have a custom of sending Hongbaos. So for the Chinese New Year, for the Chinese New Year, <laughs> and they still have this custom today. And Chinese people who like lots of face still send maybe five renminbi. They they do it today. They send five renminbi, and that gives them a lot of face. They love to do it. It's a definitely a Chinese concept to use the Hongbao electronically to send money to. Anybody else that you want to, you can send it direct to a, you can send it to a group. Yeah. You don't even know who's going to accept it, but you can send it directly to your loved one or to your friends or your colleagues. So, their focus was a little bit different than Alibaba in the beginning, because they had a a wide audience of people just chatting about things online. So this red wallet works well. Why don't I have a direct mobile payment like Alibaba, where I'm using a barcode and a scanner? Uh, and by the way, why don't I add the ability to buy an airline ticket, a subway ticket? Because Chinese people want to do those things frictionlessly, and that those things were very, very difficult when you had to go in person, show your Shenzhen, your national ID card, stand in a line for four hours. It's crazy. So WeChat Pay really helped to reduce the friction of making a, a proximity payment by adding all these other features that the Chinese people use. Going to the barber shop, going to the store to buy groceries, going to, into the subway to buy a subway ticket—all of these services were now being attached to WeChat Pay, part of WeChat, the chat app. And so, basically, these two companies were starting to compete with each other. It wasn't too long before they captured at least eighty percent of the whole market. And at this point in time in the world, they have at least—I'd say ninety-five percent of the entire market. The other part would be the NFC portions. So it was because. These two e-commerce giants understood the needs of the Chinese people, so that's why they were able to tailor their feature set 
to what the Chinese people wanted to become frictionless. Chinese people have very limited time span for just casual play and casual things. They're so business oriented and so busy, busy that they want less friction when they're doing things. And using these mobile payment initiatives really help. And I think a chat app combined with a mobile, mobile payment and a chat app is the formula to move forward. And that's why we see not divulging too much, but that's why we see Facebook trying to do the exact same thing. <laughs> really, we see the exact same thing, right? So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's a formula that has worked mm-hmm. in China. Yes. It migrated to South Korea, and it's migrating all over Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Really. The chat app plus the payment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from what you said, we can see that the trend you saw was starting from mobile online, from online, then mobile online, then to proximity. Yes. Enable all these payments. Yes. Yeah, through these two giant e-commerce companies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then that changed M- people's M- behavior. Well, yes, much to the chagrin, much to the chagrin of all those people with the vested interest in the NFC technology, which was the, all the government state-owned enterprises and all the handset manufacturers, because the barcode has nothing to do with the handset vendors. They didn't make that technology. You download it, you use it. Alibaba, Tencent, they had nothing to do with the handset makers. All this stuff was independent of the handset vendors, independent of the banks, independent of China Union Pay, independent of the mobile network operators, and they're all salivating, saying, how did this happen? So these e-commerce companies short-circuited yes. this whole ecosystem. Yeah, they did. They <laughs> yeah, did. Getting to this po- they payment. Did. They did. Uh-huh. They, they so, did. But there are troubled times ahead. There are troubled times ahead. Okay, we hold on that because okay. I have one question. Then I want to dig into the trouble. Okay. I am really curious about then what about that NFC you pushed so hard in China? What's the future of NFC in China? I think it's more positive because... First of all, NFC technology is more secure, and you also knowing that NFC technology, which uses an optical, which uses a semiconductor master and slave chip combo for induction, is much more secure with a high level of encryption and security. It's much better than a barcode, which is unsafe, unsecure, 40-year-old Japanese-invented merchandising technology. It simply is. So my prediction is that... I see right now China Union Pay partnering with the handset manufacturers to repush NFC, but smartphone to smartphone, mo- smart mobile posts, peer-to-peer payments, which means I take one smartphone, which is a smart mobile post, and I take another smartphone, and Huawei has already enabled this. I can take my one smartphone with Renminbi in my wallet, and I can touch another NFC, I can touch another Huawei smartphone with NFC, and I can actually transfer Renminbi just by getting to four centimeters from each other. Mm-hmm. And this is what we call peer-to-peer smart mobile post payments. It's still just two smartphones, but they have the NFC technology and it's very secure. And China Union Pay has certified that. And it's not just payment, it's identity. Huawei smartphones, the Mate 30, has also added, actually, your actual national ID, ID card. So I can now take my national ID card and go to the subway and authenticate, because the subway wants to see your national ID card or your passport, right? I can now... On my Huawei smartphone, through the NFC technology, touch and authenticate my national ID card with, through NFC technology. You cannot do that with barcode. So 
I think your point is NFC still has a future in Absolutely. China. Absolutely, it still has it, a future. Yeah, even though today on the payment side, mobile payment side, it's not winning the barco. Hasn't right? won it. Hasn't yeah. won it. But they're trying to bring it back. They're trying、okay. to take it back. All right. Now let's take another quick break, and we will come back to talk about that dangerous thing you have seen in the barcode enabled mobile payment side. Okay. I'm really curious about it. China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting dot com. Now back to this week's program. All right, we're back. So, Carl, before we took the break, you kind of planted a seed. You said there's a, a danger coming, or you, there's a danger in terms of the current solutions、yes. in mobile payments in China,、yes. which is barcode-enabled solutions, yes. right? Yes. And can you tell us more about it? I'm so curious about it. Well, yeah, barcode technology is not safe and secure. I can create a sticker for a barcode. Um, with uh, and when you scan that, I can have that barcode scanned to my malicious website, or I can have malware waiting to download onto your smartphone. I can take that sticker and put it right in front of a Seven Eleven point of sale device because it's nothing but a barcode to scan, right? And then I can,、uh, or any other vendor, and I can create malicious barcodes and I can steal all your money online. Hackers are doing this in China right now. It's a nightmare. So upfront security is not good enough for barcode. The optical scanning distance and range and sensitivity of the scanner. It's an optical camera. It's never going to be as good as induction with NFC. So it's just not secure enough. It's wow! Just, it's never going to be secure enough. Because、um, today, and, and, almost every Chinese are using either Alipay or WeChat Pay or both of them at every place. Even in、and、the subways, yeah, it's multimodal. It's NFC. We're traditionally NFC, but it's also now barcode with NFC. But as, as I explained to you, I saw a lady trying to use the optical scanner to scan the turnstile in the subway, and she was there for a minute and backing up the line. People saying, "Come on." Get move it, lady, and she's gone. My my scanner doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's、uh, paint the dangerous picture here now, right? Yeah, and and people in the technology world, they all know this.、Uh, everybody knows this. But you know, and, and, everyone, and everybody had a free ride. They、right. had a free ride. But、uh, on the other side, you also mentioned that、uh, in order to use this mobile payment,、uh, people need to bundle their bank card、yes. with that、uh, wallet.、Right? Yes. So, fortunately, on the back end, China Union Pay has always had the great security on the server side. So. Really, everybody thinks it's that Alipay and WeChat Pay are these great technology innovations. It's farthest from the truth. It's actually the security apparatus. 
uh, for China Union Pay is guaranteeing that those things actually work uh, because it all has to go and cleared as a payment transaction. As a third-party payment, you still know, need to go through China Union Pay's servers in order to clear the transaction, authenticate the security of that transaction that is real. That's where China Union Pay's technology comes into play, but you don't see it as the end user consumer. People in the technology world, people on the server side, people in, in the mobile payment world, they know that it's all Union Pay servers. So Union Pay really had stayed in the background, but we're getting very jealous mm-hmm. of all this stuff going on when their technology that they wanted, the NFC, was not winning, and all this third-party stuff, which they had the liability to secure. <laughs> they had a liability as a banking technology vendor, they have the liability to secure these unsafe barcode payments because there are lots of breaches, tons of breaches, and they they went under the radar because nobody wants to talk about a breach. Hell no. No, no, no. Nobody wants to talk about their breach. Nobody will talk publicly, not just in China, but around the world. People don't want to talk about their breaches. But you guys are the security experts. We all know, know what's all going this. on. Yes, mm-hmm. we, we all know what's going on. So what's the solution? The solution is NFC technology, and as I mentioned before, NFC, I believe, is going to make a comeback with this new Chinese sovereign digital currency. The Chinese are going to promote their own sovereign digital currency, probably in 2020, just after Chinese New Year, and they're going to pitch a digitized RMB. It's, that's what it is, a digitized RMB connected to a stable coin. So it's really one RMB to one of these, they call it DC, DCEP, Digital Currency Electronic Payment. Not a sexy name. I think panda bucks for women and dragon dollars for men is a better term to use. But, you know, that's just me. But back to the key point. For the Belt and Road Initiative, for Chinese renminbi to have more power when trying to purchase things like oil and such, it makes better sense for the Chinese government to have their own sovereign digital currency. And the term sovereign is very important here. It's something that they own. It's what the banks own that they have a two-tier system to decentralize it. Central Bank of China, or the, the People's Bank of China, and Zhongyang Inghang, the Central Bank of China, they regulate all of the standards, protocols, and then they implement the, tech, the, the standards and technology through union pay. But they implement the standards, and they push it down to the banks, but the technology still comes through union pay for all the banks. What they're going to do is push it down to the citizens so that citizens have another way to invest, number one, another way to build up the sovereign currency for China, the renminbi, and, and a digitized form. Actually, Apple proved the whole concept that mobile payment, right, can be safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Apple proved the concept in 2013 with, with Apple, Apple Pay. Pay. Yeah. They really proved the concept. And so the people at Renming Inghang said to themselves, well, we have an issue with cryptocurrency. We need something more stable, secure than a cryptocurrency wallet being downloaded. So why don't we create our own sovereign digital currency? So around 2014, they started work on their own digital currency. And fast forward to 2019, they announced it officially. You know, when China makes announcements, they don't backtrack on announcements. They're very careful when they make these announcements. They have announced their sovereign digital currency DCEP, they're going to launch it. They're going to launch it through five Chinese smartphone vendors, maybe more, and through five or six banks under the auspices, the center of China Union Pay, Mm -hmm. which will guide the smartphone vendors and the banks. And then I believe they're going to push that out through the world through smartphones, because Mm -hmm. everybody uses smartphones now, and the banks, and push that to try to be a new digital currency standard. Mm. 
Alipay, WeChat Pay will remain domestically in China, and they will try to build cross-border transactions outside the country, but I believe they will not be that successful outside of China because cross-border is very different. Also, I see the Chinese government opening up their financial sector. You can already see that happening with PayPal. Mm. So PayPal has won a third-party payment license in China. But what do they really win? Okay, since Alipay and WeChat Pay will be somewhat regulated more, did PayPal really win much? They maybe won a few percentage points. They may make a little bit of money in China, but who really knows? Amex, American Express, which is a real bank and as well as a credit card company, has also been awarded clearing payment processing, clearing uh, transactions approval, but I'm not sure when that will be implemented. So as you can see, as China, Union Pay, and the banks, and this new smart mobile post payment technology explodes around the world, they recognize, because of WTO requirements and regulations, they need to open up to foreign companies coming in, in this case, using the blockchain, not using cryptocurrency, but using the blockchain. I believe that China will build the, the world's first nationwide government sovereign digital currency, and I believe many countries in the world are going to follow. I think Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook took a real whiplashing in Congress uh, because they don't trust Facebook, but his concept and his idea made sense. So uh, China's moving forward rapidly with a new digital currency, and a lot of it is for payments, but it also involves the blockchain in a big way. It's just no cryptocurrency, but digital payments with the blockchain, and everything will be, of course, controlled, monitored for the safety. So. Mm -hmm. Well, so sounds like uh, the future is changing very soon uh, with this uh, China new initiative of the DCEP. What is the implication to business and individuals? First of all, the whole world needs to take this very seriously because China is very serious about the Belt and Road Initiative uh, and they want to push China's sovereign digital currency and really kind of change the standard, which is the U.S. dollar now. And for us, the real key point is security on these smartphones. Whether it's sovereign digital currency, whether it's Alipay, WeChat Pay, it's still software that needs to be protected in tamper-resistant hardware. So my prediction, what's going to happen is you're going to see... I believe my company will, will have a huge advantage in this because we see on one side the mobile network operators trying to push a 5G blockchain eSIM card. It's a removable card, 5G and blockchain. All the great technologies combined together. But it's removable, it goes directly to consumer. On the other side, we see five banks, five smartphone vendors, and China Union Pay on the other side pushing NFC plus the trusted execution environment. My company sits right in the middle it's so auspicious. We sit right in the middle because we provide the developer tools for the TEE and also for the SIM card. So you see how we sit right in the middle to take advantage of both China Union Pay's initiatives with the banks and the handset vendors and China Mobile Unicom and Telecom who are pushing a 5G blockchain eSIM, removable eSIM card out to the consumers directly for 5G and for blockchain. We stand right in the middle because we provide the security, the dual roots of trust security for the operators and for the handset vendors, Union Pay and the banks. So my company, Rivets, is a as an ICO, an initial coin offering company. We provide a token and we provide the, provide the security for all of these smartphones for any kind of wallet you want. It doesn't matter if it's a Jami, a crypto wallet, if it's a regular Alipay, WeChat wallet, or just a, a Renminbi wallet, or even Apple Pay, Android Pay. 
it doesn't matter. We protect those digital assets on Android smartphones. We're positioned perfectly in the middle to take advantage of two state-owned enterprises that are trying to grow and expand and really catch the eye of the consumer. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to win out the business for the consumer because the consumer is number one in China. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how do people know more about your company? Well, I work for Rivets Corp. We're a Massachusetts company with a, our technology also vested out of our ICO uh, and our token is out of the Cayman Islands. Uh, my name is Carl Weaver. My Chinese name is Wei Carter. And you can find me on Rivets, which is www.rivetz.com. My mobile is 425-647-9315. My email is kweaver at rivets.com. You can find 200 of my videos on payment and security technologies on YouTube and about 100 on Yoku, which is a Chinese video streaming website to understand more about our technologies in English and also in Mandarin Chinese. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I look forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week. 